Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. I'm very pleased to say this week we are joined by Callum Goin. Callum is a digital producer at Tottenham Hotspur and is on the podcast today to tell us all about his life in football media to date. So, hello Callum, how are you? Hey guys, I'm fine, thank you, how are you? Yeah, very good, good to have you on the show. Yeah, it's good to have you, mate. Uh, so I thought we'd just dive straight in then, just a bit of background to you for the listeners. Um, so we know you are at Spurs currently, but what about prior to Spurs? Can you tell us a bit about your background, Callum? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess the we, in terms of sports media, I started with a master's in uh, broadcast journalism. Uh, and then off the back of that, did some unpaid work, uh, mainly around diversity within the sports media. Mm but also for a company called Refresh Sports, who had uh, contracts with a number, well, about three players to do the social media stuff, but also uh, the likes of the PFA to do yeah. just um, just random bits with them. So it wasn't a, a every day, but there'd be obviously events and stuff that players and the PFA wanted covering. So doing events with them, uh, that became part-time work. And then from there applied for a job at Crystal Palace yeah, uh, in their media team doing mainly like video editing uh, stuff like that and then yeah from then applied for a job at Spurs alright cool so yeah but you're on paid work what what sort of work did you do with them uh, with Refresh uh, so initially the unpaid bit was like researching yeah. uh, the amount of black journalists I think that went to Euro oh cool in- 2016, 2018. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, 2016 just, yeah. yeah, just to research <laughs> the numbers for that, um, because they were making like a big, a big brochure on paper, essentially on on the diversity within sports media. Because the the man that owns that company, Leon Man, is uh is quite yeah. big within uh, diversity. Yeah, I actually followed him before uh, learning of that from you and previously doing this podcast. But so that's quite an interesting link in terms of the social media accounts. So I find that interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I don't know how much you worked on it, but I find it interesting. We all follow loads of footballers on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And we're always seeing, obviously, this, the corporate side, the sponsorship side. But obviously, they're also probably got access to themselves. So maybe to, how did like, a company like Leon's actually hand, handle it? Do they look, look after the whole thing? Or is it kind of like, a, there's a the place to have access to it? I don't really know how it works. Uh, it's different for every different players, really, uh, depending on how much they want to be involved in it. Some of them aren't really bothered and <clears throat> often you'll find that their brother or someone close to them and their family is running it. Uh, like yeah. A few of them, a few people, a few players at Spurs have that. Or uh, there was, a, uh, in, in some cases, yeah, they don't run it all. They don't touch it. They're not even aware of the tweets that go out or anything like that. Whereas other players... Uh, I'd say one of the ones we're involved in, uh, called Yannick Balassi, he quite yeah. likes to he quite likes to engage with fans on social and do his own videos and do his like just run it how we would, I guess, just doing Insta stories of him listening to music. So in he, car, he would just like do that. that. So he would just do that off his own back. He wouldn't. <laughs> so he yeah. So he he'd use social media how we would, uh, just off his own back. And he I've not like at Everton at the moment he does a lot of shirt giveaways just off his own back and stuff because. He just oh, nice. enjoys like, interacting with fans and stuff. Um, but like what we do for him was more 
create videos for certain things. So like he did a mini football event with his own like three aside oh, okay. kind of street football rules. So he he'd get us to come in and film that and produce stuff for that. Um, so his was less everyday tweeting, more like creating yeah. bigger videos for him. That must have been uh, crazy because uh, I know Yannick Bless has got a lot of skills. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's a very he's a street footballer. He's, he's a, a side note. Side <laughs> note. Where is Belasi now? Uh, he's he's back at Everton. Oh, of course, because he went on loan. He was like he was on loan. Yeah. For so long. He was at uh, Sport in Lisbon on loan. I think towards the end of last season. Uh, but oh, he's back at Everton now. Fair enough. Yeah, it's because we always see. I mean, at the, as you said, at the most elite level, especially you will get players who have their social media accounts handled entirely because they have such following and it probably is, is good for their image and their brand to tweet heavily. You also see a lot of what, the ones who don't take that up go a bit rogue. <laughs> go very rogue. Uh, uh, like yeah. Like Silva. I don't know. Obviously, your role within that was very different. Um, but I'd be interested. Yeah, I'd be interested if you guys had any experience with how it went very badly wrong. Uh, not wrong. Like I've obviously seen examples, but I can't remember who it was. There was a tweet where it said, "Can you put something like this?" And then the tweet, and they've obviously copied and pasted that straight into Twitter without. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen the, that so many times, man. The, can you put something like this line? Obviously, <laughs> I think was it Julian Lascott that had issues with tweeting pictures of cars or something from his pocket, which is a bit. <laughs> I don't know. There was something weird along those lines. But I think you can tell. I mean, fans are a bit in denial about that kind of stuff. But like, obviously, Saint Maximan's online presence. Yeah, is I was about good. to say Saint Maximan. Yeah, he's good. quite a jokes guy. <clears throat> but I, oh, I'm convinced. I bet he barely speaks English. I haven't seen an interview of him doing <laughs> anything in English. So I'd be amazed if he's if he's whacking out all this banter on Twitter. And he's got I yeah, I'd be I'd be amazed if I actually mentioned this to a Newcastle fan. I was out for drinks with recently and. Uh, they were not happy that I was like shattering the illusion, but I, <laughs> I would, uh, I'd be, I would honestly be amazed if he's running that social media. Yeah, because there's so many up. football clubs now as well that have like these quite funny accounts that, and you just wonder. Like, obviously, it's different because their organisation, you wouldn't know who runs the account anyway. But at the same time, like, so, like there's such a drive to be that funny account <laughs> to be. The yeah, a lot of. A lot of Germans seem to have, like their English speaking versions of their accounts seem to just be there to, to take the piss, really. Yeah, <laughs> it seems, to, it seems well. to be there, like, uh, seems to how they operate. But I think it does gain them a lot more followers than it otherwise would. So it is definitely a tactic that no, absolutely. can be employed. So, so yeah, kind of moving on to your um, time at Palace. Uh, so, what was your role there or rules? Uh, so I came in as like uh, someone that's meant to like organise the production side of things, but uh, admittedly I wasn't brilliant at that. To be fair, <laughs> um, and then I started editing uh, videos, and I just kind of became a video editor because I I taught myself on YouTube a lot how to do different techniques and just watch a lot of tutorials about different edit video editing mm. and just kind kind of became quite good at it. So I just became a video editor there, which. Were, which was good it was good fun which so is I mad because it seems it. like it looks well hard like you see some of these videos that put together it looks well hard I mean, yeah it's quite if you yeah. don't if you don't know <laughs> what you're doing it's quite the the like timeline and stuff's quite intimidating yeah. like there's loads of layers like my housemate was watching me edit on saturday for the matt doherty announcement and yeah. he looked at it and, and he, he was so intimidated he was like how there's so much stuff going on there i was like nah once you once you uh, once you know what you're doing, it's just chopping and changing. It's not, <laughs> it's not too bad. 
Fair enough. But, I uh, have a lot of questions about the uh, Callum Doherty one, which I'll get to in a second. The Matt, oh, the Matt, Matt, Matt Doherty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, went down well. <laughs> so what big videos did you, or you worked in or involved with it? Um, Palace, any particular players that you worked with in that regard or big signings? Uh, or... So, yeah, I did like the Max Meyer announcement video, which at the time was big, but obviously Hodgson hasn't played him at all since. So. No one really cares anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was like, yeah, like we did like a documentary on Wan-Bissaka. Um I was involved in that, but I, I, I didn't lead on it or anything. But obviously I was learning. It was, yeah. it was my first year, first year working in football. So Crystal Palace is definitely a good place to, to learn and get hands on because it's quite a smaller team and like a smaller yeah. club. So you're quite you're quite involved in everything that everyone does There's <clears throat> because you, you need to be. So there's no like, oh, this other department's handling that. You're kind of just across everything. So you learn. You learn on the job, and that's how, kind of how I fell into video editing. It was like I did loads of different bits, and then ended up being quite good at that. So picked that up myself, really. Um, but no, it's really it's, it's it's quite a close club, Crystal Palace. So yeah, I was going to say, I enjoyed there. my time there. Yeah, lean on. I mean, leading on from that, I mean, so how important? I suppose we'll get onto us with the Spurs later. This kind of comparison, but how important was like media at Palace? Obviously, they're a smaller Premier League club than Spurs. Was it a big priority? Uh, so. No, I would, no, I wouldn't say it was a priority. It's, there's a massive, massive difference in how it is at Spurs to Palace because uh, it's a massive like gener- money generator at Spurs because all the partners they want <laughs> your brand like visibility on channels because you have millions, and millions of followers and and it's, yeah. it's a good advertising space for them to be involved with. Uh, whereas Palace, it was a lot smaller, so they were only just starting to to look to get into that kind of element there was a few pieces of like branded content but it wasn't no, i wouldn't say there was an overarching yeah, I, would, I would have assumed that would be a priority for every club i think it was a priority but yeah it was a priority but obviously at that lower down in the premier league it's harder to build and it's harder to sell to people uh yeah. so it's definitely a priority for everyone like you see e-toros like across like every premier league club they love branding through that and yeah, yeah. There's, certain, there's certain companies that seem to go to every single club but and there was there was an element of of um commercial commercial input at palace but not nowhere near a level at spurs and it was kind of just it meant you were able to do more of just what you wanted like i think at palace you're allowed yeah, to yeah. to as we said with the german channels kind of take the piss a bit more and be a bit roguer because commercial partners and stuff aren't involved and you can kind of have a bit more fun with it, but yeah, I guess the, sense, the, yeah. the end the end objective is always to to grow your reach and to attract more fans to the club, which in the end will be will generate more revenue. Yeah, absolutely. I think we discussed and uh, we chatted um, earlier about how it is at a club like Palace because you've got that relegation looming. Um, it's a very different beast for the for the media team. Like you, you're actually like a bit. Oh, it's a bit ominous for you if you if they get relegated and same to get promoted. Whereas someone like Tottenham are kind of fixed into the elite, aren't they? In that sense, uh, yeah, definitely. Like, there's uh, we spoke about this previously before, but obviously, there's a massive. It's a weird, weird working in football media is a weird job because your job can be affected so much by other people that you have no control over. But like more so than I think any other job yeah, anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, because yeah, as you said, if Palace got relegated that season that I was there, I, I would have lost my job, no matter how good or bad I was doing my job or I give the example that someone gave to me before is that if you were at Bournemouth or Leighton Orient when they were together in League 2 yeah, Leighton Orient ended up in the conference or Bournemouth ended up in the Premier League yeah, <clears> so the guy yeah. at Bournemouth would have would have probably quadrupled his wages 
whether he was doing a good or yeah, bad Yeah, I mean, they, they stayed up the last Just, game uh, of the season, but I think it was a draw against yeah, Bolton. Exactly. I don't know why I know that, but I do. And then probably <laughs> a few years later, they're in, they're in the Premier League and head of me yeah, exactly. probably has got a completely different life. Like, Well, it's, it's a much better job. It's a much more attractive job, much better, much more money in the club and... Even at Spurs, like it's just still obviously not as big as relegation, but the the gap between the Champions League and Europa League, like we our bonuses were reflected in the fact that the team got to the Champions League final at the end of that season. Even though I joined at the end of January, and I can safely say I had, I had nothing to do with them getting to the Champions League final, but I was still <laughs> I was still financially rewarded for it. So it Take does, the credit, it Colin, is take weird. the credit, mate. Take the credit. Uh, yeah, well, to be fair, I was there. I so I gave a little, gave a you little were there? speech, you know, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're filming pit side at the Ajax game, but but yeah, you you're financially rewarded or financially punished for stuff that is completely out of your control. Yeah. Was there objectives at Palace as well, in terms of um, like social media following or like building the brand in different ways, views and yeah, there was. Uh, it didn't really. F- it well, it didn't really filter down to me. Um, obviously, I was, I was starting out in my career, so like the objectives mm. weren't weren't particularly set out to me my job was just to do as, as yeah just gain as much growth as possible but obviously higher up they would have set numbers and set targets that they, they were aiming for yeah cool and what are the players at palace was there anyone who kind of shied away from the kind of media obligations and did anyone absolutely love it <laughs> um they were all all right to be fair i mean none of them none of them love it to be fair none of them <laughs> <laughs> they always moan that the job of a footballer is to moan when you get them to do these things. Uh, that would be their first instinct, no matter what. Even if they enjoy it whilst they're doing the filming, they, they'll moan when you ask them to do it. Um, that's just part of the job. Uh, but no, nah, the, the, none of them were too bad in, in terms of like massively avoiding it either. But yeah, I don't think there's anyone that really loves doing extra media stuff with us when mm. they could just go home. Yeah, because yeah, what I mean, what you were saying about um, the fans kind of being deluded in a sense about how these players are, kind of, kind of feeds into that. Like, as much as a lot of these players might actually be really good people and quite funny guys and things like that, like at the end of the day, like they this is an elite level of sport, and they're there to train to actually compete at that level. And so, as much as they they might want to get involved in the media, like that is very much a secondary thought. But then, yeah, yeah, of course, someone exposed you would have that kind of actual obligation for certain players, yeah, what sponsors. So like football's changed so much that it is now really part of their job, like to do yeah. all this media stuff because it brings yeah, it brings it brings all the money in. But because that's so new, like even my job, like ten years ago, would have sounded absolutely ridiculous. Like why on earth would you need that? And it's grown so much <clears throat> to a point where it, it, this is obviously it's secondary, but it it still is a massive part of their job. Yeah, um, because it, it it generates revenue for the club and and for themselves. So mm. it is fast becoming for the younger players. They just kind of accept it now. They they're brought up within this kind of social media world, so they just know that's what's required of them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Was Zaha media pilot? Was the media for players like Wilfred Zaha particularly sought after at Palace? Uh, what by like external media? By external media, but like more like fans. So, okay, if you have a video with, let's say, Balassi when he was there compared to Zaha, would it be Zaha's media that would be more popular generally or would it not really make much of a difference? Uh, no, nah, you always have, uh, every club, you have players that obviously attract more numbers, not just within your fan base, but beyond it. Um, and that is that is quite a big thing for, <clears throat> for Palace 
that they were trying to grow their fan base and trying to attract people that that aren't in South London because they don't have a massive like international fan base. So obviously Wilfred Zaha is quite a well-known Premier League player. So that you would try and use his status to elevate it because some some fans internationally will support a team based on their YouTube channel or based on one video that they saw just off the back of it. So yeah, if you do want to grow in the Premier League, which is so difficult anyway. Um, you need to have you need to build your, your brand your revenue so it does make a lot of sense yeah that was one of the main things of Palace trying to branch out of obviously keeping the South London roots but trying to yeah. in terms of in terms of gaining fans how to branch out of it and they do a good job like they followed Wilf to the Ivory Coast when he first went back because obviously he didn't he didn't get called out for England so when he first got called out for the Ivory Coast yeah, uh, yeah. a cameraman and the producer went with him and followed him around it was a really good documentary oh, to cool. be fair, which went which done quite oh. well yeah what made you decide to leave Palace for Spurs? And how did the opportunity arise for you? Uh, so the opportunity arose because a woman I worked with during my time with Leon, she she just sent me, she works, she worked for women in sport at the time, which whose job it was to get more women into sport. So she probably shouldn't have sent me the link for the job, but she did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She just let me know that they were they were hiring because I think the person that was there before me had left. Uh, so yeah, literally just a, an online job application, job, online job advert that I applied for with my CV and cover letter, pretty, pretty standard as everyone does. Yeah. And then, yeah, I went through um, a number of interviews where I kind of blagged it because I as I said at Palace, I was a video editor. I, I didn't actually know how to how to use those professional cameras and learn how to film. But when they asked me if I did at Spurs, I just said yes, and then taught myself how to do it because the final interview was setting up a camera interview. So <laughs> I had to I had to blag it, and luckily I got away with it. So I've kind of That's taught myself. So, man. <laughs> I've just taught myself on the job ever since then. And I'm decent at filming now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, yeah, no one, no player came in, but it was just set up an interview as if someone was going to come in with the lighting and the camera yeah, and yeah. everything. And yeah, so I just spent, I just spent the week before that just Googling it. And, and uh, even at Palace, obviously, I didn't want to tell anyone that I was, I was looking to leave, but I, I, I talked to the cameraman. I'd be like, so, you know, what is this doing? What does that do? <laughs> trying to trying to get tips off them without making it too obvious. But <laughs> I was actually doing it for a different job. Um, so yeah, the reason I I left Palace was it's just just a massive step up. as talked about going from potentially flirting with relegation to at the time they're in the Champions League quarterfinals, move, moving into the new stadium. Um, financially, it was a much better pay for me as well, and like it's, yeah, it just seemed like a natural natural step up, which. Which is obviously nice to be able to do. It shows you're doing something right. The, the what I was going to say was, you must have ice running through your veins. <laughs> it's going into the interview room thinking, oh, you know, I've just I've done a bit of YouTube, asked a few friends, and then here I am. Perfect, yeah, you, you, you got to back yourself, and you? <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of uh, the differences between Spurs and Palace, that you know, you guys touched on it earlier that Palace, uh, you know, sometimes security in the Premier League is their main aim, whereas Spurs are a much more established club. Are there any other differences, mostly in the media department between uh, the two clubs? Uh, yeah, I'd say we do, do a lot more at Spurs. There's a lot more workload because of all the commercial partners. I think there's a lot more money involved in just everything that, that, that happens. Um, there's a lot more external media requests. So there's 
<clears throat> whilst at Palace, there was one one full-time, one part-time person that looked after external media. There's three or four full-time workers that look after all the requests from like Sky and all that kind of stuff and deal with press releases and things. And it's a lot more, it's a lot more structured, not more organized. There's a lot more like layers to the organization and you probably have a, like, a lot more approval processes for things, but that just comes with there being more money and more partners involved because there's contracts and stuff you have to stick to. So it's much more formal, I'd say, but then you kind of, you, there's, there's more to it. Like you kind of see why you're, why you're doing everything. You know, you see the money that's coming in, you see the deals that are being made. So it mm. makes, it makes it a lot more sense. Yeah, fair enough. So, so when you talk about, uh, there's more projects to do and stuff, are there any specific ones at Spurs you'd like to mention? Um, yeah. So like at Spurs, different palace. So every month we have, we get, about an hour or two hours with four players um, and the job is to come up with just running content strands that uh, that you can do with the four players throughout that and part of my when I first joined Spurs I had to get I think it was two million two million views in my first three months in like a video that I I'd produced um, so obviously that was quite intimidating yeah. coming into it at first because I'd got nowhere near those numbers at Palace and I was just thinking, oh God. So I was every little video I did, I was kind of tallying them up. I had a little note where I was adding them together in case in case I was scraping the barrel, in case I was only just getting to two million. <laughs> um but then the first the first like uh, content capture that we did, I got a, a ball cannon in uh for a series that we called How's Your Touch? We just yep. we had luckily to be fair, I had Sonny in it. <laughs> it's Sonny Sonny, Ericsson, Gazaniga, and can't remember. I can't remember the fourth player now. But um, yeah, so the, the four of them were just being tasked with controlling the ball out of this ball cannon within an area. And it was like Sunny makes videos funny, but it was a good it was a good concept anyway. And that got about fourteen million views or something stupid wow. across all platforms. So as soon as I released that, I was I was coasting for the rest of the three months. I was like, I smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> Be on the table after that one. Yeah, I was, I was flying. Uh, good question for you and and for Dryden as well. How's your touch? If the ball cannon came down, would you be on, would you be able to I, do it? To be fair, I tested myself out at the time. It wasn't a, it wasn't a up and down. It was like a straight into you, and then you had oh, to okay. control like it. So you had to. Mm. So you, no, so like into like your into your like your knee area, and then you had to kill it within a certain area. So if it went out the square, you don't get any points. Oh, I've seen that before. Okay. Yeah. If you do it in one touch, you get three points. Two to, or one or more touch, you get one point. And obviously, I was, I had to test it out before the the players arrived. But I thought I was decent. I was yeah. alright. It is difficult though. It fizzes it at you, proper. It's a ball cannon, so you can imagine it gets a bit of pace. I'd be absolutely shaking, sweating. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> No, it was good fun because uh, obviously the players mess about a bit. It's like, oh, that was it. Lorente was the other one. And uh, so, how do you choose the players? Was it like rotation that you do every week? Uh, yeah, it's rotation. So, someone's job at the club to organise what appearances players do, and they try to limit them to one a month in terms of those proper appearances. And we at Spurs TV are just part of that appearance list. So, there's other stuff for partners or PR appearances. And there's loads of different uh, aspects within the club that require appearances so we're just yeah, one yeah, little yeah. part of it um so there's someone that manages what players do what throughout the month oh, imagine if you've got fourth gazaniga alderweireld and betongen <laughs> well <laughs> this is the thing you do this you do get you do get different different uh different sets of four 
Um, but obviously, the, yeah, the first one were good. And we followed it up with different ones. And yeah, I mean, to be fair, at that level, the, the players yeah, are also yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, uh, you'd expect it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Are there any other projects you'd like to touch on? Actually, no, I have a question for you. So Amazon, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, did, how did that work for the media team? Uh, I haven't watched the documentary yet, but how did, how did that work with you guys? Did you interact at all? Or uh, Yeah, they, they, obviously it was quite a big deal for the club. Like there was, there was a lot of money involved and it was obviously going to be quite a highly promoted series and talked about. So it, it took over that season, to be fair. Uh, my direct boss who's usually just involved in Spurs TV was actually taken away to like manage the Amazon project. Oh, wow. he, he just didn't really work with us for the whole season. He was his main focus, just Amazon and other people's jobs were definitely doubled in workload because of it. Just managing, especially at the beginning, trying to embed them within the team under uh, Maurizio was, there's a lot of like politics and <laughs> sorting it all out. And obviously the, even 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 us, we'd be a bit weirded out by people filming us all day. So for the players and the staff to get used to it at first, there's a bit weird, I think, for them. Yeah, must be um, but yeah, it was, it, yeah, it's different for us because they were at every every filming session that we do, they'd be there as well. So we always had to had to think about them and everything we did throughout the season. Um, but once they got once they got into like a, a flow of things and they're all settled. It wasn't too bad, but I think there was a definitely a bedding in period. But yeah, because I know it, um, I know it's a very different skill, but on Sunderland till I die, that's a different kind of context as well. But there were some players that just didn't want to be on camera, like refused to be on camera, didn't want to be involved, um, because of what happened with the club and just the invasion of privacy. So I suppose with Spurs, they've got a bigger obligation, but like you've got to think like these these players do play in front of millions every week, but it still must be quite nervy. <laughs> intimidating like yeah yeah the dressing room and stuff yeah the dressing room and stuff is different i mean for them i think the whole thing is not what are they getting out of it they're putting their their life out there for everyone to see and and could potentially be made to look bad i guess they just wanted i guess they wanted reassurances as well so but no i think in the end i think they're all happy with it they all went to the premiere a couple weeks ago and I think, I think it's come out quite well. It's quite interesting. Uh, I think they'll look back on it, probably look back on it in a few years and laugh. And But also the new signings, so like um, Pierre Hoiberg and Joe Hart were at the premiere. And they were just like, oh, I've learned more about the players straight away sure, now. <laughs> yeah, you know, they know, they know yeah, a lot they... more about the squad straight away. Um, yes. Speaking on signings, uh, how... so I remember when Tottenham signed Ndombele, uh, I think... Or maybe it was another player. I can't remember who who it was, but the amount of thought and detail that goes into these transfer videos now is is quite mad. So we touched on the Matt Doherty one earlier with the I'm an Arsenal fan, as people in the podcast know. So the whole deleting uh, the Arsenal tweets really made yeah. me laugh. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really really good. Yeah, because um, they're, they're they're quite interesting. Like I think what was he tweeting? Like I love Arsenal or something. He yeah. So he was obviously <laughs> he obviously used to be a massive Arsenal fan. So he had lots of. Lots of Arsenal tweets, um, but yes, it's, it's quite funny. But you need the you need the player to buy into that kind of stuff as well to do that. Um, I'd say it wasn't my idea. See, I've been at home with my uh, after my knee surgery. I've, I've I've been working from home, so I haven't really been too involved. But the uh, one of the social boys came up with the idea and posed it to him, 
uh, and then he was happy to do it. And then I got sent all the footage on the Saturday, and I just edited edited it together as well as like we did a we did a, a like a graphicy led announcement video as well. But that was like a follow up piece. The uh, Arsenal delete Twitter thing, and it, it yeah just absolutely took off. Everyone <laughs> loved it. Um, but I think it was a good one because it was either that or every single thing that we put with Matt Doherty, all the replies would be, yeah, but he's an Arsenal fan. Yeah, but he's an Arsenal fan. So yeah. we met, like, so you just put that to bed. And I think I think uh, a lot of people thought it was embarrassing, but I think the majority of people saw the lighthearted, funny side of it because it's, that's what it is, really. It's not that, in football, it's not that big a deal if you used to support a team. You, you now support a team that, that pays you and that you yeah, play for. Of <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think fans think it matters. <laughs> fans think it matters a lot more than it it actually does. Yeah, emotions get pretty high. I think if you mention a uh, Jack Colback to Dryden, he'll start crying. Uh, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So park, park that one. Yeah, it's part that one down. Got a lot to say on that one. When um when so uh, Tottenham's record signers and Dombele for a record signing video, do you even go push the bar even further, so to speak, for videos like that or? To be honest, and I edited it, so I can probably say this, our Indonesian announcement video was not very good. So okay. we, <laughs> Spurs had a... <laughs> no, honestly, it wasn't. I, so I'm my biggest critic. No, I, was, I was disappointed in it. Um, we Spurs had signed someone for like 18 months at the beginning of that transfer window. And like obviously it was yeah. a big thing that Spurs were just not signing people. So I'd actually filmed this whole other announcement where I'd I'd got an old dusty book, a Spurs book and got it all dusty and blowing the covers off it. And it, it opened to reveal like transfer, transfer announcement protocols and kind of taking the piss about how long it had been since we'd signed someone. And like, we kind of forgot and we were a bit rusty <laughs> and that was going to be, that was going to be in Dombele. But because we signed Jack Clark, uh, before in Dombele, but it wasn't our first signing and then nah. we so we signed jack clark the day before mm. and jack clark's obviously not a record signing and he was going back out on loan yeah. so it didn't feel right to go as big for that signing so we just kind of got stuck like the day before with no ideas and just did a very generic <laughs> generic video for Ndombele in the end, which I, think, I don't think don't think the fans particularly rated and but yeah, so we got we got a bit stuck on that one in the end. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Tangy. I think uh, I'll just send that out to him. But um, in terms of do any particular players? So we've touched on the record signing beforehand. Do certain players dominate certain markets? I, I have a clue as to who might. Uh, yeah, well, obviously for us, it's uh, uh, Sonny is a massive one. Yeah, uh, him and Sonny's he's obviously huge in. In not just Asia, around the world, but in, in Asia in particular, especially Korea. The amount of Korean fans that go to Tottenham games now and, uh, well, not now, but obviously previously when crowds were allowed and, and the amount of of, of like uh, online views and followers that Spurs get from Korea is massive and it, it's all because of Sonny because he's their captain. He's really like the poster boy over there and he's huge. Like we now have a Korean uh spurs like social channels and stuff to to capitalize on that uh oh, which, wow. which which like an agency and career runs uh we do the same for so we have a spanish and portuguese speaking channel as well which you'll know a lot of clubs do that as well 
a lot. So Liverpool are like, we'll, we'll have an Egyptian one, obviously, to capitalise on Salah, who's, who's similar levels to, to Sonny in, 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 in Africa and yeah. especially Egypt. I guess Mane would be the same in Senegal. And mm. Obviously, they have a number of... Just those players that, from those countries just become like huge, just beyond the clubs, like people follow the players. So if Sonny moved, I imagine a lot of those green fans wouldn't stick with Tottenham. They'd, they'd follow Sonny. Um, so a lot of fans nowadays do actually support players, which was a, probably a bit alien to us when we were younger, but especially for international fans, I think that's quite a big thing now. Yeah, and you always wonder whether or not there's a lot of the kind of thought process in the signing is that, so obviously Son is an immense player anyway, but then is that, does that go in the transfer process? We saw like Minamino's went to Liverpool, also from Asia. Um, you do wonder like, does the brand that they bring or like the fan base that can potentially generate and like the views and stuff, Matters in the transfer. It was difficult. It's different. I'd be very surprised. Yoshi. I'd be very surprised if if the commercial element ever came into it. I think it's something that you look to capitalize on once it's there. Yeah. But I think at most clubs, the commercial element stays well away from. Oh right. Okay. Getting involved. Getting involved in transfers or anything like that. Maybe I'm skeptical. You, you, yeah. <laughs> the the, fo- the football side are, are very much left to to their own wants and desires, and, and we we would try and obviously mirror them and try and like make the most out of whatever decisions they make but we we, we certainly wouldn't get involved in who they should sign mm. as a commercial side of the business where you mentioned the spurs media presence in different languages and stuff is there any specific place where spurs are looking to grow so you know would it be i don't know what spurs are like in africa at the moment or, or the us maybe example. north america yeah north america yeah, it's a good yeah. Well, I think um, at the moment it's it, there's it's China and Asia. Um, I think China's a big one for a lot of clubs, just because it's obviously a huge market. Um, but I think Spurs definitely want to capitalise on on the influence of Sunny. Um, whilst whilst the Asian markets, whilst he's opening the Asian market to Spurs, obviously on top of that, the main shirt sponsor is AIA, which is a predominantly Asian. Mm company uh so there's a lot of links to asia at the moment with spurs but in terms of like africa not really because it's it's hard to just it is hard to go in there without a player to to kind of pin okay. it on um obviously Sergio is african of african descent but i wouldn't he's not he hasn't got the big massive appeal that we can necessarily launch a, a campaign in ivory coast or anything but we don't we don't have, currently have a french-speaking uh, channel, mm. uh, but we, really? we no, but we have a lot of South American players. So we we have the Spanish and the Portuguese speaking channels, which we mm. we obviously focus on the likes of Lucas Moore and see La Celso recently, Lamela, Foyth, Gazaniga. There's quite a few uh, Davinson Sanchez as well. There's there's quite a lot of Spanish and Portuguese speaking players within the squad. So we we definitely have a a big focus on that those regions as well. Um, so when I did the recent kit launch. For next year's kit, we actually got all the players to speak in their native languages for for the kind of bits. We did like a career story, but we got them to speak in their native languages. So then we had bespoke pieces to send to those channels from the Celso in Spanish and Lucas in Portuguese and Korean and uh, Sunny in Korean to to give fans in those areas, obviously, some native speaking content, which which obviously performs better than subtitles. Mm. No, fair. What are your thoughts on the kit, actually, now that we, you mentioned it? I have to love it. I love it. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> no, I do. I, I quite like it. I, I quite like it. 
I've just had to Google it, actually. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I, I don't mind it at all. Just thought I'd give my opinion on that, but yeah. Not bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Whilst, whilst we're on, if, if we're talking about kits, the England kits are very nice. Yeah. I'm a big fan yeah, of that. Definitely. And all the, yeah, all, the tra- all the training wear and stuff that they put out of it are, are very decent. Yeah, I discussed a pre-order in an England kit yesterday, but um, I didn't get around to it. So yeah, it might be a task for this evening. <laughs> so to finish up, Callum and Etches, uh, I thought we'd have a brief discussion. Well, it's a brief discussion mainly on a lot we've discussed on football image for clubs and players. And we've discussed a lot for the clubs about how important that is for a club and a player's career. Uh, it's definitely a factor because obviously the, the, the player imagery is spoken about quite a lot because having being able to use a player's image as we spoke about for for Spurs targeting different different geographical areas is massive like if we wanted to target Korea but when when didn't actually have the right to use Sonny's imagery without yeah. say paying him or his agent every single time then it it would it would really hamper that that area of the business and it would create a much more difficult situation and I know like Ronaldo's stuff is big on like his celebration and I think like the people like the baller and things like that. I think it's a lot bigger in foreign football, like agents and stuff yeah. having investment in player imagery. But yeah, it's obviously huge because everywhere you go, you see football players on the side of buses and, and you, you don't think that potentially they're getting paid every time that that happens or, or the club's getting paid every time that that happens or whoever owns it. Mm. So, so with all this media that goes around that there is a lot of money in that kind of stuff. Um, in terms of their like general presence, I mean, it, in terms of them as a person, it's obviously massive within football, not necessarily for fans or stuff like that. But when people, when directors of football and scouts and stuff are researching players, they will always look into their personality as much as they look into their footballing ability. So how they put themselves across yeah, and I suppose, is always quite a big thing. Yeah, and I suppose with that, obviously the Sun thing, the following they already have as a player and that particular personality and image is can only be beneficial for a club if they've got a massive image and a massive following, say in Asia, like for Sun has, because obviously that brings along the media side, which we've discussed. Yeah, yeah, of course. But if, yeah, yeah. But if you, if you have a reputation as, like, I, think, I believe I've heard people talk about Jack Grealish and just the way he is with, with Sky, say for say, or, or the people that work in the media and stuff, he's, he's known to stick around for as long as you need him and, and not be a hassle at all. And I think that that kind of shows his personality as a person and it would encourage someone to go out and buy him and bring him into a club because you think he's going to bring the right ethos to your club. Mm. Whereas if you know someone is difficult at certain things, it obviously puts you off on things. Maybe it'd be difficult within the footballing environment as well. If he's, if he's difficult with media, he could be difficult with more things. So yeah, absolutely. Football is very much a rep- reputation. Well, I guess all sports are, but like your reputation is massive and, that can be beneficial or detrimental, I guess. Yeah, do you think um, a bad image, a bad player image can actually affect a club? So um, someone like when Terry had issues in the past, uh, in his personal life and the media, do you think that can actually affect the club negatively? Well, yeah, of course. I think like Liverpool got a lot of criticism for when they wore the T-shirts in defence of Suarez, yeah. didn't they? Oh, yeah. And they've, yeah. they've had... They've, I think the Christian Perso actually recently apologised. as a benefits Perso, sorry. But one of the, the higher executives within Liverpool recently publicly apologised to everyone about that incident because it was still like a tarnish. Like everyone still had 
a go at them for doing that and it didn't reflect well on them at the time it was controversial but then when things came to light it, it looked even worse um so it definitely having a player that causes controversy it, it causes it makes the club react and then they they want to be on the right side of history once once things fall into place it's obviously look like they did the right thing and it's hard because you want to you don't want to assume the worst of your player and you want to protect them but then if it proves they have done something wrong and you've gone all out to defend them you look as mm. guilty as them and so it's quite difficult so it does yeah it does put a club in a difficult place so it's obviously something they'd want to avoid if if looking at incoming people and they brought a lot of media storm with them i'm sure it would raise question marks yeah another point as well so this is a bit left field but when the champions league final happened uh Ander herrera gave an interview where he um was really honest about why psg lost i don't yeah. know if you guys yeah, saw it yeah um, yeah, yeah I and, and fans really liked it and the question i had were are interviews by players are they ever analysed by media teams or how they can improve? Because that, for me, the Ander Herrera one went down so well because it wasn't robotic and, uh, you know, this football manager style answers <laughs> where it's like, oh, we, we didn't win today. We'll try harder next week. I'm gutted. <laughs> it was it was a bit different. Yeah. And it's more of a case of for the players at Tottenham or at Palace, is there any feedback on how they can improve or grow uh, slash mend their potential image or how they interview? Uh, I think when players first come through, there definitely is. There's definitely media training. Um, I remember when I when a club early on when I joined the club, we got Jeff Shreves to come down to the training center and, and give a fake interview with Oliver Skip, um, just to train him up a little bit, and then and then Jeff Shreves gave him some tips off the back of that. But I don't think there's like really mentoring like different players have different styles like Danny Rose is always quite honest in his in his post-match interviews uh Delhi's had a number of ones where he especially towards the beginning of the season where he came out after the game and said that we weren't good enough there's no excuses and, and was quite open and honest about the team not being good enough at the time and as a media team like we don't mind it it's it's not discouraged and it's not encouraged really it's, it's up to the, each individual player and it usually depends on the emotion of the occasion. So obviously the Champions League final was very emotional and you're, you're prone to be more honest. Whereas if you've just lost away in the Premier League and it means you stay in sixth place rather than, it, you're, you're less likely to be that emotional. I think players, are, it's droned into them to be robotic because if they're not, they get criticised yeah. more often than not. They, they just put themselves out there to be, to be criticised if they're, if they show a lot of personality so often as soon as the camera switches on i've seen players just just drain all their personality out throw out the answers that they know or get them through it and then as soon as they're back off camera they're just happily and bubbly and their normal selves again because it's, it's easier for them to be honest absolutely well i think that's a good time for us to wrap up this week's episode thanks again to callum for appearing this week and thank you all for tuning in to this week's why football podcast please do not forget to follow us at why football underscore on twitter please also follow and subscribe with us on apple podcasts spotify and aircast for immediate access to future episodes cheers guys and we'll see you next week 